Okay, so our recording somehow lost. We lost our place, so we're going to start recording again. For the purpose of the recording, I'm going to read the scripture and then you guys are going to talk about it. So the first group I gave you, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. So let me let me read it and then you guys will uh, will tell us what you thought the answers were and how you worked through that text. So let me read it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, this is the sixth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you on the face of the earth and every tree uh, with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Who is a woman? And what should she aspire to be? Do we, do we all have to do it or can we get our scribe? To Just get a scribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Please come on. So, well, what do you guys think? Okay, so um, in terms of the first one, so um, what, what is a woman from God's perspective? And we've got six. So, like man, a woman is made in the image of God. Yep. Um, woman is distinct from man. Um, woman shared dominion over creation. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a shared receptor of God's instruction and blessing. Yep. She's present when the two are given. Mm-hmm. Um, she is very good. And then she is higher than the things God created prior to that point. So the animals, the... Um, the yes. Animals, yes. Um, and then in terms of what, in, in light of that, what a woman should aspire to be or aim at. So uh, one, she should be a woman, not a man. She should not try to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are blunt, eh? <laughs> Some people haven't been sharpened. <laughs> Uh huh. Yep. She should aspire to love God's it. image. Um, yep. She was given the instruction alongside man, and she should seek to fill it alongside him, not without him. Um, and for you, uh, so the premise of this, is when God gives the instruction, is that you obey the you obey the instruction. So yeah. Uh, without be, so you can't do that without being, being obedient to him. Therefore, uh, she should seek to obey God. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Give it to me. Can I just have it so I can use it? It's better. This is this is really good stuff. Just just go go ahead, grab a seat. Grab a seat. This is some excellent stuff. I love it when people write my sermons for me. <laughs> like man, woman is made in the image of God. Hey guys, did you hear that? Where does woman's value come from? Not. Where, where does a woman's value come from? Why do we prize a woman? 
Why is she esteemed? She's made in the image of God. Why is a woman dis- to be why is a woman with dignity? Why does she command respect and honor? She's made in the image of God. Her value comes not from anything other than that specific fact. In many ways, you could say this. A woman is to be honored and prized and loved and honored because she exists. Because if she exists as a woman, it means that she's made in the image of God. There's nothing external, nothing mutable in that. You understand what, I'm, what I mean when I say mutable? Changeable. There are many things that are changeable about a person, right? Your personality change changes. When you were younger, you were more excited and naive and bubbly. Now you're grumpy gills and now you're just like you can't get excited about nothing. It's all these things that are mutable mean nothing towards, her, towards the, the woman's value and to why she, she should be esteemed, why she should be honored, why she matters. It is because she's made in the image of God. But now that says something else. Her, her dignity, her honor, her, all of these things, these wonderful things about her that we prize above the creatures are not inherent in her, but in the fact that she's made in the image of another, in the image of the Supreme One. You understand this? Because she is the representative of God on earth. When she's walking, she is royalty. You understand? Because she's the representative of God. The image of God idea, people are confused by it. Let me just help you out. It's not very complicated. In the image, the image of God idea is very simple. It means that you are, you, the, the idea comes from what, what we call a vice regent. Back in the day, uh, in the Middle East, was, remember Genesis is written to a particular people in a particular culture. So the language that is used belongs to those people. So don't be quick to think about a mirror when you think of an image or a picture. Just, you have to think like, they, what, what would they have understood? And this is where the, the idea comes from. A king, what the king would do is he would rule his kingdom in the, in the ancient Near East. You'll find this, we find this in the, in the Eucharistic uh, documents. We find this in Mesopotamia. We find this around all of those historical documents. And what we find at that time is that a king would rule, but sometimes a king would have a vice regent who is in charge of his affairs. Okay? Not necessarily, don't, when you hear the word vice regent, don't think vice president. It's not the same thing. It's vice regent. It's somebody who is representing everything, who speaks with the word of this person. I'll give you an example in the Bible. Do you remember the story of Joseph and Pharaoh? Do you remember what happened? Pharaoh took Joseph and said, you will be under me. Now you're thinking, oh, okay, so Pharaoh's, uh, Joseph is uh, Pharaoh's second in command. But that's not what is going on there. He's Pharaoh's vice regent. He speaks. He makes decisions. His, Pharaoh is trusting him with all of his mental faculties and all of his thinking capabilities and all of his artistic powers. He is trusting him and saying, whenever Joseph speaks, he speaks for me. And Joseph has my power. Joseph can do whatever I tell. Whatever Joseph says must be done, must be done. 
Joseph has my authority. The only person that Joseph does not have authority more than is me. That's what's happening. Right? A woman is God's vice regent on the earth. You are carrying the image of God and you are to do what God does. Dominate. Have dominion over the earth. You are to push the boundaries of of God's creation and order it. Let me let me let me let, let me color this picture in a bit more. In Genesis chapter, this is very foundation. In Genesis chapter two, we spoke about this when we spoke about the men. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, we're told that God creates the earth, and then what are the words that are there to describe the earth just as it's created? Formless, void, without structure. And what does God do from verse three onwards? He creates structure. He creates form. He makes meaning out of the formlessness and the void. Up until the time in verse 31 where he says, it is very good. You understand what I'm saying? It was before formless and void without structure. Now it is very good. What is a woman? It is one who acts like God. It's one who makes order on the earth who dominates over the things that God has created all the materials that God has made she is to dominate and have dominion over them and make order and sense out of them are you understanding what I'm saying in every every way possible without exception a woman is a representative of God now I'm stressing this I'm stressing this so much because some of the other things we're going to look at now It's going to make you feel not that way. And I want you to understand, because, again, I'm saying this to you because you live in the culture today. If I was talking perhaps somewhere in a village, somewhere with some people in the village, I might be saying it in a different way. But for you, I know what your temptation is because of just the general world, the general, you know, what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're hearing. Your temptation is go towards one particular direction. And you must understand that the other things that we're going to say about the woman now take nothing away from this. In fact, that is the glorious way in which God has designed that she does the work of dominion and making order out of the planet. You with me? She is in every way one who makes order out of a planet. And yes, a woman is distinct from man. This is very important. They are made one, the two of them, are one, they're of the same substance, but God made them male and female, right? He made them two distinct complementary beings. In one sense, uh, the, the work that is required to, have, to dominate over the earth and bring order to the earth requires the specific things that a woman brings to the table that a man doesn't have. Just as a man brings specific things to the table, to the dominion and ordering of the earth, in the same way a woman does. She brings certain things that, she, that, she, that are distinct to her that a man generally does not have. There are certain things that, you, that are cliches, that are... Uh, stereotypical as it were like stereotypes and so forth that are actually true and there's there's no way for me to actually you know lower the punch 
it has to be obvious. A woman brings life into the world. She carries children when a man can't. I'm so glad I can't, (laughs) by the way. I've seen what my wife goes through with both our kids. Not fun. She is designed by God to carry life. Her body is designed in a specific way, in a very fundamental, mechanical way. Her body is very different from a man's. She is to bring life. Because of that, she is also gifted with more nurture in her mind, in her, in her being, in her disposition. She's more, given more towards nurturing. You see this throughout the scriptures in how the word... Those aspects of woman are applied to God. In Isaiah 49, God is talking about Jerusalem and how Jerusalem is not listening to God. They're, they're, They're rebellious. And because they're rebellious, God brings to them judgment. But then he wants to comfort them. He wants, to, he wants to bring them comfort to tell them that no, he has a wonderful future still for them in the future. And he doesn't say, oh, my children, I'm comforting you like a father does. He says, I will comfort you like a mother does her children. He says, he says this, it's a wonderful phrase, Isaiah 49 verse 15, beautiful phrase. He says, he says, Jerusalem, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, your walls. What, your, your walls, your city, you, you are always before me, always before my eyes. And he says, can a nursing mother forget her child? Can a nursing mother forget her child? And then he goes on because he knows that he's talking about women and women are fallen, just like men are. He says, he says uh, though she may be able to forget, I will not forget you. But when God is talking to his people, trying to comfort them in the midst of judging them, comforting them, telling them, reassuring them of his love, he uses the image of a woman, specifically a nursing mother. The image goes, go, goes on. In, um, in, uh, Jesus uses the same image when he's talking about, the, talking about Jerusalem. And he comes to Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem. How I would have wanted to gather you like a what? Like a hen gathers her chicks. Right? Specifically females. Talking specifically about the female. Says just like just like she gathers her chicks, just like she loves her chicks and she draws them around her. Oh, how I would have wanted to gather you like that myself, but you wouldn't let me. You were you were obstinate in your heart. And I'm just using two examples. You find this throughout the prophets where God uses that particular aspect that he's put in a woman to explain the care and nurture that he has for his people. So there is something that is specific to her that even though men can be called nurturing and men can be called caring, this is something that is typical and is seen as in its standard in the woman, how she cares how she nurtures, how she makes things grow. The image of something growing up and, and growing up cared for and loved is something that comes from a, from a woman. It's a, it's that, that image, that picture, the Bible only uses it from a woman. It never uses it from a man. And for good reason. These are things that are obvious, but they need to be stated in our day because for some reason it seems like if we say this, 
we're saying some backward thing that is outdated or I don't understand. You know, it's just like you, you're archaic when you, if you think this way. But, I, but the reality is that God's word says this. Right? And like I keep saying to you guys, I don't make up, I don't write the book. I'm just the guy who's paid to tell you what it says. Okay? The book says this. And so it is a beautiful thing to be a woman. You are made in God's image. You are distinct uh, specifically from a man. Of course, we've spoken about your shirt. I love these notes, guys. This is just like, this is very wonderful. Um, I think I think from that, I think we'll, we'll, we'll stop there with that particular verse. Uh, we'll bring all of this together at the end. Let's go to the next group. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 was your text from verse 18, right? Okay, let me read. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh and the man and the woman were both naked in the garden and they were unashamed go ahead guys yeah sure. so from verse 18 um we deduce that um a woman is a helper that was made to be suitable to help the man yeah and to be fit to help the man um and then from verse 21 um, when God was creating the woman from the man, yep. um, from that we got that the man was created first, yep. and then the woman was created after from the woman, and so that is the order of creation. Um, the man first and the woman second, not because any of them is more important or more valuable than the other, but just because that is God's order of creation. Yeah. Um, and then from verse 24, um, where it says that a man should leave his father and mother to be united with his wife, same as the wife, she should aspire to leave his father and mother and to be united to the man, to be his suitable helper yeah. and to be um, supportive of him, to help him accomplish the mission um, that God made her out to be. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, this text... Uh, talks about where the woman comes from in the in the creation. So Genesis 2, Genesis 1 is a, is an overview flyby of the creation account. And then Genesis 2 zooms in on day 6 and looks at specifically uh, the particular steps that God took uh, in creating the woman. And the particular reason that we're told why the woman is created, even though the woman was going to be created anyway, but the specific reason... As it were, in this sense, her reason for existence, in this particular sense, in the marriage sense, she 
is one who is to be a helper fit for the man. Now, what does this mean? I want to I want to explain this word to you for a few t- uh, for a moment. This word helper uh, means exactly that: someone who helps someone else in the completion of a task. Right? It's not a complicated word. If I come and help you, I am helping you in the completion of your task. Uh, in one sense, you if you look at it from the man's perspective, this is what you see. A man is unable to do all that God calls him to without a woman. Are you with me? Now, from Genesis 1, what is the man called to? Skip verse 27 where we know that they're both created. What is man called to do? Dominion. Yes, yes, to have dominion over the earth. And he's, un- he's unable to have dominion over the earth. He's unable to multiply. He can't sneeze on himself when a baby shows up. <laughs> right? He's unable to multiply. Right? He can't... He He's unable to have dominion over the earth. And he's unable to multiply. The woman is a necessary uh, help for him. Now, when, when, when we say helper, we mean that this is someone who is a necessary piece of the puzzle. Not an optional one. This word, this very same word, is use of the Holy Spirit. Okay? How can a Christian live a holy life? Jesus says that I will send you the helper, the paraclete, the comforter. He's going to come, and in the specific title, he's going to come and help you. He's going to bring to remembrance to you the things that I've said. He's going to help convict you of sin. He's going to help you along the way to ensure that you finish the finish to get to the finish line as a Christian. With, without the Holy Spirit, can anybody become a Christian who sees Jesus at the end? No. Impossible. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, in, may, in the practical sense, is the most important of the three persons in a practical sense because he's with us all the time. He's the one who helps us along. Without him, without his nudgings, without him stopping us from foolishness, we, who, where would we be? It's the same thing with a woman. The woman is there. She is, she is a necessary cog in God's design for what must happen with humankind. humankind. The, thing, the challenge that people have with this, and I don't know, and I, I, I'm trying to, to speak and also just try and think where somebody might be at. So feel free to ask questions. But one of the challenges that people have with this is, wait, but so does that mean that the man is superior? Does that mean that because the man is first, he is in some way superior? He is in some way a, a better human being? The answer is no, but I have to be careful in how I say that no. Because there is an interlinking, an interwoven de- interdependence between these two, while the primacy, the the, the, the preeminence of the man stays in place. So they depend on each other in very fundamental ways, but the scripture still sees a need to emphasize that the man is the head of the woman. Specifically, a husband is the head of his wife. Okay, Just because there's a man and a woman doesn't mean that the man is the head of that woman. 
the ma- a husband is the head of his wife, specifically yeah. in this particular context. And, and let me show you what I mean. Can you open with me for a second to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I want to show you this interdependence while the while the 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 uh, the, the 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 preeminence is still emphasized. First Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start Paul's argument. Um, there's a whole there's a whole situation here about head coverings, and what was going on is that some women were were not covering their heads, and in that culture, if a woman did not cover the head her head, if she was a particular way, it was showing rebellion, like she she's not she's not honoring her husband, and it's usually it was something that was done by prostitutes, so that's how actually people identified that someone's a prostitute when her hair was a particular way. And so Paul deals with it in this particular context. And I want you to to look with me from verse 8. For man was not made, he's arguing why women should cover their heads. They shouldn't, and when I say women, I'm talking about wives, okay? (laughs) Wives and husbands, it's always a challenge because when you're reading in the Bible, uh, the word for woman is the same word for wife, especially in the Greek, gune. And so it just the context tells you whether we're talking just about a woman who could be single or about a wife. It, but this context tells us because there's a man involved in the woman, then we, we know that we're talking about man and wife here. So just replace that in your mind that this is a wife. And he's making an example. He says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Okay, here's the order, here's the preeminence. Man was not made from woman, but woman from man, which means you wives who are there at Corinth, stop acting in ways that are disrespectful to your husbands, because you were made for him. You were made to honor him. He came first. And there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's a possessiveness there. I don't know if you saw. For woman was made for man. Uh, sorry, this is verse nine. Now I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So first, uh, woman was made from man in terms of the order, and second, woman was made for man. Possession. She is his. The, the wife belongs to her husband because the husband came first, as it were. Look at verse 10. That is why a wife ought to that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now this because of the angels is a bit spooky, people get confused. There's a lot of confusion as to why he's introducing angels all of, all of a sudden in, into this. But suffice it to say that what is clear here is clear. Let's just major on what is clear and leave the what is not clear aside for a second. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of this order, one man came first, woman came second. And number two, she was made for him, not the other way around. He he was not made for her, which means that he, he is not the one to submit to her. She He is not the one who's going to have a symbol of authority over him. She is the one who's going to have a symbol of authority. Because she came from him. She was made for him. 
Nevertheless, now look at this. Now look at this. Look at what, what Paul says. Now love Paul because Paul is brings theology to, to completion. Look at what he says. He says, I'll be with you in a moment. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born from where? From woman. So in this, he's doing two things at the same time. One, he's showing that this order matters. This order is not inconsequential. The fact that Adam was, Adam was made for us is not just a, an inconsequential, you know, just by the way fact. It matters. It has practical implications on how you live. But it only goes to a particular point because they both are, their importance and their need of each other is intermingled, is intertwined. Because now the man comes from woman. So now, even in order, every man that now exists came from a woman. So that in some way levels it. He does the same thing in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where he argues that a man was made first uh, and a woman came afterwards. But the woman will bring salvation when she raises up her children in a godly fashion. Which means that there's some, the, the children that are raised up by a godly woman are dependent on her in some way. Um, there's a question over there. But yeah, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what the word submit means. You know, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5 as well, so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on what that So, right, this is a great question, and it is particularly uh, apt here. Submission, the, Paul speaks of submission in many different categories in, in, in a Christian's life. He speaks of submission with a, every Christian must be subject in be subject to the governing authorities. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, members of the church must be subject to the, the pastors of the church. Yeah? First, uh, Hebrews 13. Mm -hmm. uh, children are to be subject to their parents. Ephesians chapter 6. Right? And then, of course, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians and Peter say, a wife is to submit to her husband. And what this means is that, in general, uh, we're going to see it in the next text, more clearer, but in general, the woman is to be under the leader, the wife is to be under the leadership of her husband. That means that that has both positional and practical implications. Positionally, this is what it means. In every single marriage that you see, I don't care who has the pants, in every single marriage that you see, the, the husband is the head of the wife. That's a positional thing. It doesn't, it doesn't change. Even if the husband is useless, he sits at home, watches video games, plays pay, paper, doesn't do anything in the house, he's useless, he doesn't do anything, she's the one who earns the money, brings it home, she's the one who's really putting things together, he just lies on the couch and watches Netflix. Even in that situation, positionally, that's immutable. The husband is the head of the wife. That husband is just a lousy head. Okay. He's, he's a lousy head. It's the same thing with human beings. We are all image bearers of God, yeah? But some of us are lousy images of God. Are you with me? The position and the fact does not change just because the person is lousy and useless in their function. They still hold the function. Okay? 
So positionally, that's what it means. That in every single marriage, the husband is the head of the wife, which means Christ expects the ordering. Christ expects the well-being of the home. Of the home, he asks of the well-being of the home from the husband, not from the wife. Someone made this example, and I think it's exactly accurate. That if if the home was a mess, like your house is a mess, there's a husband and a wife here, and maybe kids, and the home is a complete train wreck. Like it's things are going haywire. The marriage is the marriage is in trouble. The kids are rebellious. Everything's just a shambles. And Jesus comes and knocks on the door, and the wife opens the door. Jesus will say, "Can I please speak to the man of the house?" He would not ask about all the wrong things that are happening from the woman. He's going to ask from the man. We spoke about this two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. That's exactly what he had did in Genesis three. You know the story. When he arrived in Genesis three, who was the one who was deceived? Eve. But who did Jesus, who did God when he arrived ask what's going on? Adam. Adam. You see, because Adam is the head of the woman. That's the position that he has, and he needs to fulfill his function in the way that Christ fulfills his. He must. But her function then, practically now, first the position head. Second, practical. Practically means that she is to lovingly, for the sake of Christ, submit to her husband and follow her husband's leadership. This is talking specifically about prudential matters. This is what I mean. The, 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 the family structure in God's order is part of a structure that God is making order in, in the world. So a lot of decisions need to be made in the family structure. Okay, the family in, for for society to thrive, the family needs to be ordered in a certain way. The government needs to actually be ordered in a certain way for society to thrive, and for the church to thrive, the church needs to be ordered in a certain way. And so the responsibility is given to specific people. In, the gov- in, in a country, God gives, he ordains governments. Each government, he ordains it, and he requires the well-being of that country from the government, from the government officials that he, he ordained and put there. In the church, he goes to the elders, those whom he has put there to lead his church. He goes to them for the ordering of, his, of, of, of the church. And in the home, prudentially, he puts the husband in charge. And so the, the, the wife is to lovingly submit and follow the, the direction that the husband is pulling in. This assumes in the ideal world that the husband is pulling towards Christ. Yeah, yeah? The husband is pulling towards the good of the wife like Christ does. Right? Mm-hmm. Christ washes his bride. He cares for his bride. Mm-hmm. And in the same way the husband is given that same mandate, love her. Be the chief servant in your home. Be the one who washes the feet in your home, men. But she then is to not. She then is to lovingly submit, which means that if, a, if practically, if there's a final decision that needs to be made, she is to then joyfully say, "Okay, uh, you, 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 let's go with with your view." If there's a disagreement in which which direction the family is to take, and she has her view, and the husband has his view. Before God, God is the one that's going to require what happened from. In the ordering of that home, if there's a bad decision that's made with regards to the children, with regards to which church to go to, with regards to the finances, with regards to anything, if there's a bad decision that's made, God is going to require that, not from the wife, but from the husband. 
So then she then recognizes that fact and she recognizes the order that God has put in. And she says, I will lovingly follow you because ultimately God is going to hold you accountable for this. I, I've said my piece. I really think this is the way. Now we can talk more about this. I just I don't want to spend more time on it. I hope that answers you. That essentially it's saying that she is lovingly saying, I'm going to follow in the way that you, where, where, where you lead. I'm going to go with you, which means that if the, I mean, there's, there's many practicals about this, uh, and this is where it's hard, guys, but careers are a blessing and a curse, because um, I was, um, I, w- I once worked in, uh, in corporate for six years or so, and uh, there was this one, um, one executive that, um, called me over for coffee. I was doing a project for him and he said, come and let's have some coffee. And I was so excited because this guy's a big shot in, uh, he was a big shot in the company. He was in charge of a large part of the company. And so I was excited and I just wanted to know. And he said he's a Christian too. And I was like, oh, great. So as a Christian executive, let me go talk to you. I mean, this is a huge company of 50,000 employees. So to have an executive who's in charge of Africa talk to you, you know what I mean? I was excited. So I thought to this guy and I'm like, so man, can you just tell me? So I mean, you, I mean, you're, I was calling you, you were in Swaziland, and then I called you the following week, and you were in Botswana, and you were doing all of this, and can you tell me, how do you, how do you order your home, like, are you married, you have kids? Yeah, 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 I'm married, I have kids. Okay, so how, like, how's your home functioning? Like, could you explain to me, like, where's your wife, like, can you tell me? And then, you know when somebody is, like, gearing up to give you knowledge? You know when somebody says, now listen, yeah. <laughs> and then like he, he gears up and he's, he's preparing to dump knowledge on me, right? And he's like so proud of himself. And I'm like, yeah, give it to me. <laughs> and then he says, you know what you need to do? You need to have a wife who's as ambitious as you. So my wife, I come in at 9 p.m. sometimes and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jetting off at 4 a.m. in the morning. I don't see her. She comes in at 11 because she's, she's at an advertising company. She's an executive there. So she comes in when she, she's also, so there's no problem because we're both, we're both pursuing this and she's as ambitious as I am. So I'm like, wait, so hold on. So you guys, when do you guys, yeah, maybe I'll see her twice a month or something. But, and I'm like, whoa, and, and your kids. And this guy thought like he was dope. He says, you need to find someone who's as ambitious as you. And already, like, all of my estimation of this guy just went down the drain. Because I'm like, your household is a mess. Because what you have done is you have said that we're both going to do us while we're together. You're going to mess it up. I'm going to do me. You'll do you. We won't have a home. How can we have a home when we're both pulling in different directions? And you're proud of the fact that you don't spend time with your wife. Why did you marry her then? And the wife is just like, she's also just pursuing her career. She just wants to do that. You know, kids are being raised by somebody else. No. Like, that is not the, that is not the idea. You have to be very careful. Careers are a blessing, praise God for them, but they can also be a curse when they inject themselves into the family. Family must, for the family to function, you need a husband and a wife who are pulling together in the same direction, both making sacrifices, which means that both of them at some point might require to say, okay, I won't take that promotion. Mm. One or both of them will have to say, I won't take that promotion because my wife and my child need me here. And the wife needs to say, I won't do that because 
I, I, I need to man my home. We spent too much time on this one. We need to move. Okay, Peter. Yeah, yeah, that's, see, that's a hard one, hey. When, the, the question is, okay, what about when a, when a husband is not pulling towards God? When a husband is not a good husband, he's not doing what God requires him to, he's actually pulling away from God. It's a hard one. <clears throat> and, the, and the answer is similar to how we deal with the government. If the government is not pulling towards God, does our responsibility towards them change? And the answer is no. It only changes slightly, or it is mute. It is it is mutable to a certain degree. Let me show you. In 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 First Peter, Peter anticipates that very question, and he he talks about that very hard situation, and he says this. He says, likewise. Listen to this. Likewise, wives. Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, this is First Peter chapter three, so that even if some do not obey the word, which means so that even even if some are not pulling towards Christ, they're not the ideal husband. You're stuck in a rough situation. They may be worn without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So a wife does not, because her husband is a lousy husband, does not now get a, a free pass from respecting and honoring and submitting to her husband. It's just that it means that it's hard. And this is rough. I mean, even us as Christians, we're living in a country where we wish the government did certain things in different ways, in certain ways and they fixed things, and they, they didn't do this, and they didn't do that. We wish that they did that. But... But just because they are not pulling in God's direction and honoring God and, and being and having integrity does not mean that now we can just be God be a law unto ourselves. Mm. There is a way to dishonor God even when you dishonor those who are in authority over you who dishonor God. Mm. Suffering, Christians, this is very important. Suffering does not give you a holiday from obedience. It just requires a new kind of obedience. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, uh, no, he's always going to be accountable for the decisions that he makes. She, as a Christian, has a limit to that, right? So, you cannot go against God, right? So, if a husband says, "You are never going to go to church because I don't like church," the wife has to say, "But listen, you know, I God says I must gather with the saints." Can you please give me an opportunity? I'm going to respect you and I'm going to try and win you. I'm going to honor you during the week, but you, I must honor God. 
understand what I'm saying? So, so she, she should, there, there are certain things that she would do. If her husband says, let's go steal, right? Well, okay, you're my husband, I'll submit. No, right? Like, you, you can't do that, right? There, there are certain more, the, the moral law is binding on you. So you, the, that wife submits to a particular degree, but if it's something that goes directly against God, then she can't do it. And she then is trying to, uh, there are certain things that are neutral, then she can try to win him over by, by respectfully disagreeing and saying her piece. I, I don't think that she should you know, just be silent. Yeah. Yeah, she, she shouldn't be silent. She, even, even us as we participate in, in society, you know, we, we, we participate and we say, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, the government shouldn't be doing this, the government is wrong when they do this and do that. We must participate. We can't just say, well, they're not pulling towards the right direction. Well, let's go to Australia. No, no, it's, it's, no, no, we'll participate in the process. No, this is wrong. We're, we're, we're going to use the right channels, you understand? We're going to speak up in the, right, in the right ways to try and say this is the right way that you should be going. So there is um, discussion. And there is, of course, I hope you understand, there is a submission that is sinful. Yeah? So there is a time when you submit and you're being sinful because you've submitted to something that's ungodly. Are you with me? You can't submit to something that's ungodly because then... You have, you, you have given these people and you've made these people bigger than God. You have to only submit in as far as they don't go against God. In as far as it's prudential, like matters of organizing and leading, uh, you, you always submit to God morally, not there. Um, this is both for you as a citizen and for wives and their husbands. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, unless there's any question on that one, I see there's more. You, were you happy, Peter, with the other? Okay. Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next one is Numbers chapter 13. I'd like you guys to look at this. I'm going to read. This one is very important. And this one kind of highlights some... Well, not very important, but it's important. Uh, the very important one is Genesis 1. Uh, but this one's important as well. And uh, <clears throat> I want you to listen to this. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man, listen to this, if a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Are you with me? If a man makes a vow to the Lord, he has to keep it. But now let's turn to the woman. Look at the woman. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and bounds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she was bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, listen to this, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand if her father opposes her. And the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. Verse 6, and if she marries a husband while under her vows or, un or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears, 
then her vows shall stand, and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her, then he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But any vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, anything by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard of it and said nothing to her, did not oppose her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. What did you guys pick up from this? Hey, brother, later. this is how you saw it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so... Okay. So yeah, um, we 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 have. I think we have two contexts here, where if the woman is under her father's house while yep. she's still in, in her youth, she must submit to her father. Yeah. So whatever the father says goes. So mm-hmm. if she's going to say uh, something, yeah. um, which the father does not approve of. Um, the father is allowed to disapprove whatever she's going to say, yeah. whatever decision she wants to make. Um, so I think also the same applies with the husband. Um, yeah. So what we picked up from there is that um, what a woman is, is that she uh, fulfills her vows. Um, and she, she may be single if her father um, does not object. Um, I don't know whether that's a point. <laughs> she may okay. be single if her father does not object. Yeah. Heaven. <laughs> I think she, she yeah. There, there yeah okay. Yeah, there was a mistake made there. So there's going to so. be a question, hey, dad, I'd like to be single. <laughs> Do you object? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Which father's going to say, I object? <laughs> oh, this is hilarious. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, So, um, okay, so the definition altogether, uh, okay, the way we defined uh, what a woman is, is that she submits herself to God, uh, her father, and her husband. Um, yeah, so that, that, that depends on context. Yeah. Um, so, two, uh, what sh- a woman should aim to be is that she should uh, be obedient to God, um, then her father, and then her husband. Um, and then she has to be true to her word, um, because we we saw like in in the two verses that we st- you started to read, like a man must be true to his word, must stick to his word. Yeah. So the same applies for the woman. woman. Yeah. So yeah. The, there are consequences. Yes. With whatever vow you you made back then. Yes. I think it yes. Also applies even now. Excellent. Yeah. So um, and then lastly, so she has to take her vows seriously. I think it, it connects with what I previously said. Yes. yes. Let's let, let's take this step by step. This is excellent. Number one, do you guys know the story of the prodigal son? Yeah. Do you remember what happened in the story of the prodigal son? The son said to the to the father, "Give me all that, 
Give me my inheritance. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does the father stop him? No. He leaves, right? Do you understand that if that was a lady, it would have never happened. She would have never le- she would have never been able to leave because she's under her father's house. There is there is a, here I want to I want to point to your I want to point to your direction and I want you to see the distinction. This is really where we get to Womanhood here is distinct from being a male. A man is expected, even in the Genesis 1, Genesis 2 passage, a man is expected to leave and go join with his wife. Which means he's the one who leaves, goes, finds a wife, and joins with his wife. A man is independent in a real way from a particular age. Once in whatever culture it is, the culture determines that he is now a man. And in the Jewish culture, would have been very young, from as young as 13. Uh, once that happens, he can now, he can leave. He can make any vow he wants. This is in the context of making a vow before the Lord. Now, maybe either making a Nazarite vow or making some another vow of dedication to the Lord or anything like that. Now, even a, even a marriage vow, betrothing yourself to someone. This is all about, when he talks about making a vow, it is that broad. And, and it says, and, and this is what's going on. A man, in his position, in the way that God has ordered society, he is the one who leaves unprotected and goes and creates a new home unit. A woman doesn't do that. A woman is to be under her father and under her father's care. And the ideal world, in the ideal, she she leaves home when she goes to her husband. That's the ideal. There is this idea of a woman being covered, being protected from the from the in in the in God's design, being protected from all the craziness of the world and all the all the dangers that are out there. There is this idea of covering that she's always under her father, and then she switches and she's under her husband. In many senses, you you hardly ever see a woman spoken of as just standing on her own as a single woman. In that context, I don't know if you saw, it was when she was divorced or widowed, when she was in that situation. Generally, and again, we have to, I have to talk about the ideal so you can get the picture, the design, and then I need to bring it back to reality because reality is not like that, yeah? So, but let me, just, just allow me to paint the picture, the design. So the design is that she's under her father and she is to honor her father she is to consult with her father again in an ideal world. Her father is somebody who loves her, cares for her, selfless, is not all about himself. Her father is a, is a person who is actually a good guy, but, but I mean, we know that it's not the situation. But just, just, just allow me to paint the picture. In God's design, she is to be under her father. Her father is to care for her, protect her, help her make decisions, and ultimately be her protection. And because she is what the Bible calls the weaker vessel, she is then to be transferred to be cared for by her husband. Yeah? So, what are your thoughts on um, a woman with the gift of singleness? Yeah, we're, we're coming to that. And we're, all, and we're coming to that when we go to that group. That's their verse. Um, so, so this is so so that's that's the picture, and what you have, and when we say, and when the Bible says the weaker vessel, 
it means that it's just it's talking about the physiology of a man and a woman. The world is rough. It requires, in order for, for someone to be safe, it requires some strength. Okay? Some of my sisters, for example, even here, if I would I would always ensure that you're not going somewhere on your own because there's danger. Right? Uh, the woman is uh, in her position, she is she is to be cared for and protected. She has to have somebody looking out for her who is strong and can defend her. That is why you hear the Bible often, especially in the, in the prophets, says that there's judgment. One of the reasons that Israel was destroyed is because they were not pleading the case of the widow and the, and the fatherless. Those are the two groups always mentioned. The widows and the fatherless. You people are not pleading their cause. You're not, you're not trying to protect them. You're not trying to go out of your way to keep them safe in society. That is why I'm going to destroy you. And God destroys them by having the Babylonians come and destroy them. The, there's, you see, that, that group, it's, we would say, if we're using today's terms, we'd say those are vulnerable groups. Widows, because they don't have a husband who's there to protect them. And those who are fatherless. You'll see that all over. If you've read the prophets, you know what I'm talking about. Often you see, plead the widow's cause, plead the fatherless's cause. It's because that's the idea. The idea is that somebody needs to look out for these people. And it's usually women who don't have a husband and children who don't have a father. Now, that's the idea. That's the, that's the, that's the idea. However, the world doesn't work that way. And this is why, look at me now, this is why... God is creating humanity anew. This is why the church exists. Do you know what the church is? Church is God's grand project to create humanity anew. Whether somebody is single or not, whether someone is married or not, there is now a situation, there is now a, 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 a place, a community where a woman and a child is safe. They are now people who look out for you. Jesus says this. He says, no one who has left mother and father and husband and so on and so forth for the gospel's sake, who, there is no one who is like that who will not re receive tenfold in this age and in the age to come. Which means that even if you're alone, if you're in Christ, you're not alone. And the way that you see that practical not aloneness is when you are embedded, you are in God, the community, the church. Uh, a couple of explanations here. Uh, number one, uh, or at least let me say a, a couple of practical implications. Number one, if you're a young lady, and a young man of course, but we're talking to ladies today, if you're a young lady and you're not married, and you have a dad who cares for you, honor him. Let me repeat. If you're a young lady who's not married, and you have a dad who cares for you, honor him. Seek out his advice. Seek out his protection. Honor him in the decisions that you make. Consider him when you make decisions. Your father is given to you by God in the order of the world to such a degree that you have someone who has your back. 
No one has your back more than a good father does. He's got the strength that you do not have. He's got the experience that you do not have. He has your back. Depend and honor. I, have, I, I really struggle with young ladies who do not honor their fathers and treat them like they're dunderheads. I struggle because a father, even with all of his faults, if, he's, if he exists and he's there and he's provided for you and takes care of you, he's not going to be perfect. But because he is there, he must be honored by the nature of his position. His position is such that he must be honored. You have to honor him with your life. This goes for guys as well, of course, you understand? Honor your father and mother. This is for everybody. But I'm speaking specifically to young ladies because there's this temptation to think that he doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know. He's outdated. He's from another time. He doesn't understand. Why would I consult with him? No, consult with your dad. He is God's gift. You understand? He is God's gift for your protection and for your care. He might not do it perfectly, but you know what? If, if you have a dad who's trying, oh my goodness. <clears throat> if you have a dad who's trying, a dad who's there, yeah, he might have his mistakes and his faults, but he's there, he cares for you, he tries, <clears throat> he's, he's not perfect. If you have a dad like that, won't you honor him? Don't treat him like an idiot. Don't, don't, you know, don't make massive decisions in life and don't include him. Don't, don't hide and, and, and squirm around from him and treat him as somebody who's just there in the corner. You are encouraged biblically to actively engage him. Actively, <clears throat> proactively. See, this is the challenge that we have as young people, and all of us, we do. We have this thing of not wanting to fix things. We, we want to respond to people in the way that they respond to us. It's a big temptation. The way you treat me, I'm going to treat you the same way. Well, if you treat me this way, if you're toxic to me, if you do things this way to me, I'm going to treat you in the same way. Let me tell you, that is ungodly nonsense. It is demonic to think that way. The Christ Christianity teaches that you love your enemies. Amen. Christianity teaches that you are the one, even if somebody has something against you, or if you have somebody, something against somebody, it is on you to actively go and sort things out. Christianity does not say just sit there and wait to see how they treat you. Christianity says forget about yourself and your feelings. Pursue this person. And be disappointed again and again. Pursue them. Yes, be disappointed. Yet let your heart break. Feel it. But do what is required of you. If, it if honoring your dad requires heartbreak on your part, then get, get, heartbreak, get heartbroken. This is hard to say, but it's it needs to be said. Because we, ha we live in this world where we expect to just live, to do things in particular ways based on how people do things to us. And that is, that is the reason we have so much nonsense and so much unhappiness. Because everybody is busy thinking about themselves. When the scripture says, happy is the man who forgets himself. Mm -hmm. Happy is the woman who forgets herself. Who says, I'm going to consider the other person more important than me. Do you understand what this extends to? I'm going to consider you and your needs and your feelings more important than mine. I'm going to forget about mine. But our world tells us, get yours. 
Our world tells us, pursue what you want, do what you want, pursue it. And I'm here to tell you, dear saints, please hear me. Honor your fathers. Honor your mothers too. Okay? Don't say, he didn't say anything about honoring mom, so shut up, mom. No. No. Honor your mother too, because she nurtured you and cared for, cared for you. Honor her. But please, honor your dads as well. Honor them. Give them their place in your lives. And if they don't want to take their place, well, I mean, there's only so much you can do. If they don't want to, if you try to evolve them and they, they run away from that or whatever, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not trying to be impractical here. But all I'm saying is, don't just sit and do nothing and not be proactive. At least show some initiative in trying to restore that relationship. Try to fix that relationship. And then if it goes to a point where you can't, you know, maybe the person's gone or someone, something like that, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying be, you know, be an idiot. But what I'm saying is just, just don't take a holiday from honoring him and giving him his place. Are you with me? Um, uh, second to to this text is that a woman is to be a woman who keeps her word. Okay. You, you saw that phrase about thoughtless utterances. Did you see that phrase that came up? Mm-hmm. Thoughtless utterances. A woman is not to be like that. A woman is not to just go around talking thoughtlessly. She is to guard her mouth, and when she says yes to something, she needs to have considered it. The, the woman that is painted in Proverbs 31 is a woman who sits down, who thinks and considers a field. Right? She doesn't just see something and buys it. She sits and considers the field. She thinks about it. She considers, is this field going to be the right one for what we're trying to do here? Or is this field, what's the, what's the fertility on this thing? What's the, what's the, what's, what crops have you grown here? Okay, let's try this, check this one. She considers. And then if she, if she buys something, if she, if she goes and makes a transaction, she would have thought about it. If she get, gets into a vow, she thinks about it. If she says yes to something, she is acting like the way that Christ said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. So I, I would encourage you, ladies, to watch your, your yeses and your noes. Watch what you get yourselves into. Rather, don't get into anything. Speak to somebody. Consider it. Research it. Think. Apply yourselves. The, the picture that's in the Bible of a woman is not of this, you know, docile, just yes, baba, no. Some of the most amazing women that we read about in the scriptures were the most feistiest. They apply themselves. They think. They say, hold on. What is this? You're, this is nonsense. What is this? This is not, no. This is what we're going to do. This is what's going to honor God. This is what makes most sense for my family. This is what makes sense for this company, for what we're trying to do here. This is where we should be doing. Okay? So when, so consider, don't do thoughtless utterances, but consider your words before you get into anything, before you say yes to any transaction, before you say yes to any proposition, before you say yes to any Emotion, you know, sometimes our emotions comes up upon us, all of us. You know, we, we get emotion, we want to say yes to something. 
How often have you seen in a movie where this caricature of these people who were emotionally happy and drunk and then they wake up in the following morning they're married? Right? Don't be like that. <laughs> Think. Apply yourself. Apply your mind. Consider things. And, um, and, uh, and, and then w- so that you can keep your word once you've given it. Yeah? Okay, next group. We need to rush now. We're running out of time. Um, what I'm actually going to do now, I just want, I really want cliff notes because we need to, we need to, we need to end soon. Um, what text did I give you guys? Sorry? Titus 2. Yes, yes, yes. Let's read Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Now, Titus chapter 2, if you remember when we spoke about the doctrine of God's design, this is our text, right? For this short series that we're doing. This is our text. It goes to each group of people in the church and deals with them in what they need to be taught. And I need to give you some background here. Paul is giving Titus instructions of what he must encourage to be taught in the churches at Crete. So they are going to read this letter, and it might be the only thing that they have to read as to who is a woman and what she should do. Keep that in your mind as we read this text. From I think I gave you from verse 3, right? 3 to 5. Let me read this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, there's a lot of points there. What did you guys did? Say, go. A woman is supposed to be reverent in behavior, not a malicious person, not a slave to wine, and she must teach what is good. And then we said, what is a woman's aspiration? We said, uh, she should be self-controlled, pure, uh, be there at home, like work at home, and be kind and be subject to her. The application was right in front of you, right? <laughs> it was so easy for you guys. So, uh, the older women are to be reverent in behavior. It's quite wonderful. Oh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if this will uh, steer away from the thought, but um, I was just wondering, to what extent can a woman have a career and still have the responsibility of the children needing to work at home? To what extent? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, to give you an example. Yeah. She's a CEO of a company, but she's decided to marry. Or yeah. she's married, but she's going to get the CEO position. Yeah. To what? What should she? What should she do in that situation? So, I, you, this is where okay. Here's a here's a golden rule when it comes to application application questions, right? The golden rule is 
any answer that I give, if it's black and white to a specific question on application, and I say this is the only way something needs to be, that's legalism. Yeah. Okay? If I say this is the only way things can be done, and I cannot have a verse in the scriptures for that, that's legalism. You with me? Yes. I, Because this is a very specific question. You, you see what I'm saying? And there's no such specific question in the Bible. So if I answer in a black and white way, this is the only way that this could go, you should tell me, sit down. Okay? You have my permission to tell me to sit down. Okay? So now, but, but, let's, but let's, come, let's come to the question. It is, I would say it's a case-by-case case situation. Because the woman's disposition, and as we're seeing in this text, she is to be working at home. She is to be busy at home. She is to be managing at home. This, that's actually the idea. She is to management of the house. The husband, I don't know if you've ever seen, I don't know if any of you girls have ever visited a guy's dorm room. Don't go there. <laughs> okay. Management of a room of a house is not in man's DNA. Now, some, now, you have to understand. You have to understand. I'm talking about management. I'm not talking about neatness. I'm talking about management. Generally, again, I'm generalizing here. So, when, so don't now start thinking about the exceptions to the rule. Something is stereotypical because it's generally true. There are obviously exceptions to the rule. But the, re but the real general thing here is that men are not really designed in their minds to think the, about the proper management of a home. God has given that to women. And history proves this to be true. You know this to be true yourself in general when you look at the world. That the management, the ordering, the flourishing of a home is really dependent on the woman. In many ways, we judge the well-being of you know, the family. We look at how everything is ordered in the house. And we typically look at the woman. Oh, so you put that picture up there. Oh, you're the one who ensures that food is bought from this place. Oh, you're the one. Oh, do you like the fridge. Nobody goes to the husband and says, do you, you, you bought this fridge. Because he doesn't care. He just wants a fridge. <laughs> he doesn't care. Could not care less whether it has frost or no frost. <laughs> as long as the food is as long as the food is preserved and he eats, he's fine. Again. Generalizing here, the reality though is that she's 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 drawn that way. So insofar as her outside endeavors requires her to not be able to manage the home, management of the home does not mean that she's the one who's cleaning every day. She's the one who's washing the dishes. She's the one who's cooking the food. It doesn't. That's not what it means. Management of the home means that she's the one who's managing the home. She knows what's going on in her home. She's ready. In Proverbs 31, we see that she is prepared. She knows what's going on. She understands what's going on in her home. And she's always ready for what's going on. She's prepared for the morning. She says, the morning's going to come. Things are going to happen. But here I am. I'm ready. That's, she's a manager of her home. And insofar as her work now makes her unable to fulfill that task, in the same way, as the husband yeah. in everything that he does, he has to be involved in work outside of the home, which is his duty. If a man doesn't work, the scripture says, if a man 
male does not work, he should not eat. Okay? Scripture says that a man should be out there making money. Now, in all of his making money for the family and for his own stomach, he should never neglect his family inside the home. He should never neglect his wife. There was a period even in Christian ministry where ministry, you know, going out and being ministering and doing all these things for God was more important than taking care of your own children at home and caring after your wife's needs. That is ungodly. And that is why a lot of the problems we have are from that. Yes, K. Paul. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, I just want to ask something specific, right? Is uh, it related it may, to this? It be, yes. It's, okay. Uh, it may be already somewhat clear, but I just want to confirm. Uh, by, by management of the home, you mean, say, the man the man goes out and works, uh, he brings the, the money home. That's the, you know, the, the normal setup and stuff. Um, so does she take care of the, is she in, char- is, is she in charge of the finances? Of yes. Okay. Look, well, well, when, I, when I say she's in charge of the finances, I mean, how, how are you going to, how are you going to manage anything without a budget? <laughs> You know what I mean? So, so yes. If well, I guess she, she's paying the bills. She, she, she knows what's going on. She knows what's going on. The point is she knows what's going on. She, it, there, there's no specific task where it says, I mean, other than like, you know, the scripture says, you know, teach your kids. That's a specific task that she must do, right? Teach your kids the ways of the Lord. So she must do that, as does the husband. He must teach his kids. The scripture says this. Uh, other than that, there's a very few tasks where she must actually be the one who's actually doing it. Generally, it's management. If you look at even in Proverbs 31, she's managing the situation. She's got servants. She prepares things for her servants, and the servants do the stuff. She goes and buys a field. But she's, she's, she's aware of what's going on in her home, and she's managing. She's, she's on top of things in the home. Nothing is getting out of her hand. That's the, that's the idea. Um, she's busy... So she's busy at home. She's she's managing at home. What? So to answer the CEO question, if the if it's a CEO of like you know small company, or, well actually startups are really hard. Uh, I don't know, just like a, of a company that's you know a bookshop somewhere you know, and she's the director top. You know, it's okay if she's even you know a small to medium enterprise that things are working okay. But once we get to now multinationals. Right, like multinationals that require her to have a meeting in Kenya and then a meeting in Swaziland and then a meeting in this place and and she wants to have kids at the same time and I would now I would say now okay now let's let's talk about this I've not, I need to know I can't make a rule because the scripture does not give me that rule but the principles of her responsibilities I'm going to ask her now are you able to be on top of what's going on at home do you know when are you teaching your kids about God when are you spending time with your husband? Uh, when are you, because your husband is supposed to love you, when are you allowing him to love you by being there? <laughs> like, you see what I'm saying? Like, how is this going to work? Um, there are other responsibilities as well, you know, so I, I, I would have that conversation. Funny enough, in modern day, I'd have a similar question, a conversation with a man too. I would. I would have a similar conversation when it comes to multinationals and all of these, I'd have a, I'm like, my man, you need to make some sacrifices. Okay, you can be, you, you do that, but you need to make some sacrifices for the business, that the business must suffer in order for you to fulfill your mandate in your home. 
Uh, you, you're going to have to be there for your kids. You need to raise them. You need to teach them. You need to support your wife. Your wife needs a... Do, do you think your wife enjoys just being with crying kids 24 hours a day? Do you, will you not just give her a day off? Tell her to go relax somewhere and you give her a day off, maybe once a week or something like this. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, there are there are things that are that practically become impossible in a family. And all I'm saying is, if you want to pursue that lifestyle, it's fine. Just don't get married. I'm saying to both of them, men and women, if you want to pursue that lifestyle where you there's nothing settled, your life has no structure, that it's impossible to be able to be there for another person. It's fine. It's not sin. You're not sinning. It's great. If you want to make tons of money for the kingdom of God and you want to do that, it's great. But maybe rethink whether or not you should be married. Because at some point in practice, some things become mutually exclusive. Not all the time. It just depends on the situation. We need to, we need to understand this for both, for both genders. You understand what I'm saying? You had a hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, she must be empowered, is my point. Yeah. She must have, like, what I'm going against is this idea of the husband saying, I make the money, so I'm the one who holds the card. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, my card is mine, your card is yours, or your bank card is yours. In a marriage, none of that exists. You know each other's pin, pin codes. You understand? <laughs> you know everything. There's full access. Yes. If you don't like it, don't get married. <laughs> like, it's very simple. No, it's, it's, it's very straightforward. Guys, I'm telling you. Why do you think the divorce rate is so high in the church and outside of the church? Because people aren't doing things God's way. If you do not, if you do not become one flesh in everything, then don't get married. Because if there's... Those those schisms. Do you know what are one of the one of the highest one of the the, the 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 highest reasons for people to get divorced the world over? Even the last stats that came out for South Africa were in 2016. Money. Money. So so what 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 so what I'm saying is I a private conversation. <laughs> These Zulus. <laughs> um, what, what, what I'm saying is, it, it we should be one. There should be access. Should be freedom. Both sides. Like we should, we should be able to talk. There should be no my private corner in a marriage. Okay, that's what I was going for. But of course, what you're saying in terms of the nitty gritty working out. Of course, yeah, absolutely, you're right. Uh, but. She, but the point is that she needs to have a site on the finances so she can know how she can manage her home. And she needs to have that, that, that freedom. There must be that freedom 
uh, financially between the, the husband and the wife. Uh, Yebo. Yeah, that's a, that's a very specific question, right? And, a, and it's an excellent practical question. Uh, I would argue that it is a, that you, you need to be wise in any decision that you make. Yeah, well, oh, the question was about property regime. So, for example, does, this, does the scripture require that when people get married, they get married in community of property instead of out of community of property? Should there be like prenuptial agreements? I imagine those kinds of stuff. And and I would say that all of this is is a, is a matter of wisdom. Okay, it's all it's all a matter of wisdom, uh, legally to understand. For example, if you're married in communal property, you're in a serious disadvantage if one of you dies or is incapacitated, because now the banking situation is going to be a serious like everything's going to shut down, because you need each other to sign. If you're married in community property, you, you can't open a bank account without your spouse present. But if your spouse, you know, is out, you know, now on a practical day-to-day, -day, your wife now can't go and open an account. You guys discuss that, let's open an account and then, okay, but I'm going to be busy. Could you just go open it you, or whatever, or the husband? Okay, I'm, I'm near the bank now. Can I'm going to go open this account or do this. And then the, the, the husband can't do it because we're married in community property. We both must physically be there. Now we must find a babysitter for the baby now. Now you see. And that's just one small, there's bigger things that, that, that are there. Uh, you need to understand the practical implications of every decision. What matters more is the transparency rather than how you sign. What matters more is the transparency of, yeah, what matters more is the fact that are you guys one in your finances rather than, you know, which, under which political code do you sign under? That's, that's the key. That's a very important practical question as well. Um, and if anybody says to you, yes, community, pro, pro, community property or bust, legalism. <laughs> Because you see, in some countries, I don't know, in some countries, maybe community property is the best one. You know, there maybe there aren't these many restrictions. I don't know. I'm just advising you that in this country, uh, it, it, it's very complicated to be in community property. It's actually, it, it entangles things because legally you're one entity now. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, yeah, it affects a lot of things. Ask a lawyer or an economist, it becomes uh, tangled. Like credit cards now, all kinds of things become complicated. So, so to be honest with you, actually, generally, I, I don't, I don't advise it just because of all those complications, because it's more the spirit of it that matters yeah. than that, than, than that. Just because it's going to make your life complicated for unnecessarily, yeah. Um, okay, final group over there. First Corinthians chapter seven. Did I give you? And I wanted you to focus on verse 35, if I remember correctly. Or is it 34? 